Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly, re- you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kind of trials. These have come so that the power, the proven genuine, genuous of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though it was fined with fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you will believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end results of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that day that they were not serving themselves but you. When they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Thank you, Simon. Uh, Feel free to keep that Bible passage open. Uh, You'll also find a helpful outline uh, in the middle of your leaflets, so I'd encourage you to have that open as well. Um, You see on the screen behind me, there's a phone number if you'd like to uh, ask any questions today uh, about what we're talking about. We've got a great new book that we're looking at today. I'm really excited uh, that we're starting a new series in this book of 1 Peter. Uh, If you've been with us lately, we've just finished going through the book of Isaiah, a book in the Old Testament. Uh, What's really fascinating, actually, is that a lot of what we've talked about in Isaiah, uh, some of those themes uh, are picked up again by 1 Peter. So, Uh, For those of you who've been with us, I hope you find that uh, really helpful and really interesting. Uh, As we get going though today, I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to talk about 1 Peter. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for the Bible, your word. Uh, We thank you for the last six weeks we've uh, been able to spend in Isaiah. Um, We ask that as we move into 1 Peter today, you would continue to be with us by your spirit, helping us to learn more about you uh, and to understand better what it means to be Christians in the world today. Amen. 
as we begin today, I want to ask you, uh, are you more of an optimist or are you more of a pessimist? Are you an optimist or a pessimist? Uh, I don't know if you ever heard the joke about uh, the family that had an optimistic child and a pessimistic child. Uh, so two kids in the family, an optimistic daughter, pessimistic son. Uh, so, you know, for the daughter, uh, no glass could ever be half empty. It was always half full. Uh, meanwhile, for the, for the son, every silver lining came with a cloud. Um, so these parents, because they had one optimistic and uh, one pessimistic child, they decided to try and experiment one Christmas. Uh, they're a bit cruel. They're like experimenting on their kids. Uh, for the pessimistic son, they got uh, all these toys, filled their whole lounge room with all these wrapped toys, all these wrapped presents, and they left a little note on the pessimistic son's bed saying, when morning comes, when Christmas morning comes, go downstairs, look in the lounge room, uh, you'll find all your presents. And then for the optimistic girl, uh, they decided to try something completely different. Uh, they got in a whole truckload of horse manure, backed it out to the backyard, dumped a big pile, big pile of horse manure just sitting in the middle of the backyard. And for the little girl on her bed, they left a little note saying, uh, when you wake up Christmas morning, go look in the backyard and there your present will be. Pretty cruel, aren't they? Uh, so Christmas morning comes and the parents wake up and they awake to the sound of crying. And they're thinking, oh, no, what's happened? Uh, so, and then they, they realise that the crying is coming from the lounge room. So they go downstairs and there they find their pessimistic son. Uh, he's sitting there unwrapping his toys, but he's crying. He's devastated. They ask him what's wrong. And he says, oh, Mum and Dad, there's so many toys. I'm never going to have any time to play with them. <laughs> and then uh, the parents are about to respond, but suddenly they hear shouts of joy and elation coming from the backyard. And so they walk outside and there's their daughter shoveling horse manure, shouting for joy, and they just don't know what to, what to think. So they ask the, ask the daughter, what's going on? Why are you so happy? And she says, Mum and Dad, this big pile of horse, horse poo, there's got to be a pony under here. <laughs> are you an optimist or are you a pessimist? Um, particularly if you're here and you're a Christian, are you optimistic or pessimistic about the Christian life? Uh, 1 Peter, it's a, book, uh, it's a book that has lots of optimistic things to say about the Christian life, lots of positive things. Uh, Peter's uh, written things that are for the optimists among us. Uh, but at the same time, it's also a book that's realistic. Uh, it doesn't pretend that the Christian life is easy. It's honest. It says that the Christian life is often hard. Uh, some of us in the room will probably feel this. We, we know there are hard, hard things in the Christian life and we perhaps are wondering... Is the Christian life worth it? The Christian life is hard. Is it worth it? And for Peter, the answer is yes. Yes, the Christian life is worth it. 1 Peter is a book that's realistic, but it's a book that's optimistic. And we can see this actually right from the start of the book, right from the very first verse. Uh, So have a look at 1 Peter uh, 1 verse 1 with you, with me. Uh, It starts off, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect. Uh, So Peter, an apostle, uh, that means he was one of Jesus' key followers, uh, and he's writing to God's elect, uh, which really refers to uh, being chosen. He's writing to those uh, who are the chosen ones, the Christians who God has chosen. Uh, Now, the idea of uh, being chosen by God is a slightly complicated one, uh, but Peter's actually trying to encourage them. He's trying to make a positive point. He's trying to say, in the midst of hard things, remember that you have been chosen by God. You know that thing at high school where you get uh, two captains, you're playing a sport, you get two captains and they take it in turns to uh, pick people from 
uh, the lineup and then you end up with your two teams. Uh, it's never a good feeling, is it, when you uh, end up being that one that's the last one to be picked. Peter is trying to encourage his readers by reminding them that God has picked them. Uh, so Peter, is, he's writing to these Christians who are finding the Christian life really tough and he's saying, God has picked you, be encouraged. Straight away, he's starting with optimism. Uh, but then look at the very next word. God's people are elect, but Peter then calls them exiles. Uh, now, if you've been here with us through our series in Isaiah, uh, you will know what it means for God's people to be in exile. Uh, you'll remember that in Isaiah 1 to 39, uh, we had all those stories and all that prophecy about how Judah had not been living God's way, uh, how they'd been uh, not uh, living uh, justly, they'd been uh, mistreating the poor, uh, and God was uh, telling them that they were, uh, they'd done wrong and that they were going to be judged for what they'd done. Uh, and then we get to Isaiah 40 and we found that uh, the Jews had been taken off to Babylon, they'd been taken off to exile, and they were away from their land, they were in a place that was not their own. And through the rest of Isaiah, we saw these great words of comfort and hope as God promised his people that he would bring them back from exile. He would one day bring them into the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, now Judah actually uh, was only in exile in Babylon for about 70 years, but here we are in the New Testament, in the book of 1 Peter, uh, about 700 years later, and Peter's writing to Christians, Christians in uh, modern-day Turkey, these places, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. And yet Peter is still using this word, exile. And why does he use that word? Well, we know that when Judah was in exile uh, in Babylon, things were hard. They, uh, we have stories in the book of Daniel, stories like uh, Daniel being thrown to the lions, stories like the Jews not being allowed to pray, being forced to bow down to Babylonian gods, uh, we have the story of Shadmach, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego that our minis are going to be uh, looking at this morning. And when Peter uses the word exile, it conjures up these images for us, images of persecution, images of being in a place where it's hard to follow God, being in a place that's not your home. That was the reality for the people Peter was writing to. And actually, it's still the reality for us as Christians today. Because uh, fast forward to Adelaide in 2018, uh, I want to say that our situation, it's actually quite similar to the situation that Peter's recipients were in. Uh, like the Christians in ancient Turkey, those, those of us who are Christian, we're chosen by God, uh, we're elect, and Peter has lots of good news for us. Uh, but there are hard things about being a Christian in Adelaide today, aren't there? Uh, in Australia, no Christian is ever going to be thrown to the lions like Daniel was in, uh, in the book of Daniel. Uh, but there are lots of signs, aren't there, that actually being a Christian in Australia in 2018 is getting harder and harder. Uh, one thing that came to mind uh, for me was a story that came out towards the end of last year uh, where the Queensland Educational Department were moving to ban children from telling people about Jesus at school. Uh, they even suggested that if kids were on the playground handing out Christmas carols that referenced Jesus' birth, that those Christmas carols should be confiscated. Another example that comes to mind pretty readily is uh, we know that Christians are being pressured to move away from what the Bible says about marriage. I'm sure lots of people in this room uh, could tell stories from the office or from social situations uh, where actually being a Christian uh, meant you copped some flack, maybe some insults, maybe some jokes. 
50 years ago in Australia, uh, being a Christian was actually to your advantage. These days it might mean you lose respect, miss out on promotions, maybe even aren't taken seriously by your friends. Uh, So I wonder what you think uh, if you're a Christian. Is it easy or hard to be a Christian in Adelaide today? How you answer might just come back to whether you're an optimist or a pessimist. Some of us uh, really feel these hard things a lot more. On the flip side, uh, some of us might see it as a glass half full. Things haven't got that bad yet. There's no danger of being thrown to the lines around here. Interestingly, though, if we uh, look closely at the people that Peter is writing to in the book of 1 Peter, uh, in these places in ancient Turkey, uh, we can actually see that they weren't going through physical persecution either. Uh, This letter was most likely written in the 60s, as in like the 60s, not the 1960s. Uh, Christians actually really, they didn't get attacked and thrown to the lions and things like that till probably 50 years after this. Uh, So at the time Peter's writing... Uh, the thing that they were facing was really verbal attacks, verbal persecution. And actually, as you go through the book of 1 Peter, you can actually see lots of clues to this being the case. Um, So I'm going to put a couple of verses from the book up on the screen, uh, and we'll see that actually verbal persecution is kind of what's in view here. Let's, uh, we're going to go to chapter 2, verse 12, 1 Peter 2, verse 12. Uh, You can turn there in your Bibles as well, if you like. Uh, Here it says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. It seems that the people Peter was writing to had been accused of doing wrong. Uh, If we skip forward another three verses to chapter 2 verse 15, uh, here Peter says, for it's God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Seems like there's ignorant talk around. Uh, What about the next chapter? Chapter 3, verse 9. Here Peter starts off, Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. Seems like the Christians are being insulted. What about a bit after that, starting at verse 13? Uh, Here Peter says, Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ might be ashamed of their slander. You can see there's lots of clues here, aren't there, that The Christians Peter's writing to, they're being slandered, they're being spoken maliciously against, they're being insulted, they're being talked ignorantly about, they're being accused of doing wrong. Our situation here in Adelaide in 2018 uh, might not be exactly the same, but there are similarities, aren't there? Being a Christian in Adelaide in 2018 might mean being threatened, it might mean being insulted, it might mean people talk maliciously about you. I hope you can see then that this book of 1 Peter, it's a good book for us to be working through. It's a book that we need to work through in 2018. It's a book that we're going to need more and more as being a Christian in Australia may well get harder and harder in the years to come. Let's get, that, let's get into then what Peter is saying in this first section of the book. I want us to notice uh, straight away Uh, Peter's optimistic side, he's got lots of good news for Christians. 
Uh, But again, we'll also notice his realism. He's writing to people who are going through trials, and he's honest about that as well. So I think Peter's got good news for us and bad news for us. Good news and bad news. I think we see the good news coming through strongly in uh, verses 3 to 5. I'll I'll read these out for you. Uh, Here Peter says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. What a great statement about what God has done for us. God in his great mercy has given us new birth into a living hope. Uh, That word hope is one that we'll see again and again as we go through the book of 1 Peter. Even though Christians go through hard times, Peter is optimistic. Christians are born into this hope. And it's clear here that it's not just a vague hope that things might kind of slowly, eventually get a little bit better. This is a living hope, a sure hope of what's to come. And what is to come for Christians? Well, it's this inheritance that Peter mentions, isn't it? An inheritance that can never spoil, never perish, never fade. Now, you might be wondering what exactly this inheritance actually is, and I think it's probably connected to that uh, idea we were looking at last week at the end of Isaiah, uh, the new heavens and the new earth, uh, the, the lands where God's people will one day live, uh, the land of peace, the land of banquets, the land of fine wines and delicious meats, a land where God himself lives with his people. Now, that sounds really good, doesn't it? But uh, the funny thing about an inheritance, and if we think about the idea of an inheritance uh, just from kind of how we would normally use that word in uh, day-to-day life, you can look forward to an inheritance, but you never really know for sure if you're going to get an inheritance. I mean, I'm sure there's probably some people in the room who are uh, looking forward to coming into an inheritance one day from a family member or a parent, Um, but you never really know, do you, if uh, that money is going to be invested in something that's going to end up going bust. You never, ne- never really know if you're going to make it far enough to get to your inheritance. Uh, Jesus tells you that tells that story, doesn't he, about uh, that man who's uh, saving up grain and he's saving up so much grain that he builds bigger and bigger barns. And then the twist is when he's about to retire and enjoy everything he's saved up, that very night he dies. And Jesus essentially says, what an idiot. He put all his time, all his effort into something that was not secure. Uh, But Peter is saying that this inheritance, the inheritance that Christians have, this inheritance is safe. Uh, It will not perish, it will not spoil, it will not fade. And of course that's very different to actually everything else we experience. Uh, We have lots of good things in life, but almost everything we have are things that are temporal, things that don't last forever. Uh, Meredith uh, brought this out well in her kids' talk, talking about the premiership glory of the Bombers from 1993 and how uh, that premiership glory uh, has not lasted. Even peptides haven't been able to do it. Uh, I wanted to give you a few other examples of uh, things in this life that uh, don't last. Uh, Last week I went out and bought a a banana, a beautiful fresh banana. I tried an experiment. I left it uh, in the kitchen at college uh, just to see what would happen. And slowly but surely, over the few days, the banana got browner and browner and browner. And I was actually going to bring it out to you to show you this morning, but it was so gross that I just, I couldn't even pick it up. It was that squishy. I do have a picture of uh, what it started to look like. There you go. We know that something like a banana is never going to last very long and it's going to perish. I've got another example. A couple of years ago, Annika and I bought a new car. Got a picture of our car here. Uh, it's, a, it's a great car, Ford Cougar. We really like it. 
Uh, still really happy with it, still going strong a couple of years later. But a couple of months ago, my brother and his wife, they went out and bought the exact same car. Uh, same model, same colour. Uh, the only difference is that theirs is two years newer than ours. Uh, so you put our car and their car next to each other, and I realised that our car is starting to look a bit faded. Now, I do need to wash our car. That's probably step one. <laughs> but my brother's car does have new features, new touchscreen. It's a reminder that something like a car, though it can last for quite a long time, it's certainly not going to last forever. Its newness is disappearing. Uh, I could even give the example of my wedding ring. There we go. Now, my wedding ring, it's gold, uh, nine carat. Uh, Annika and I have been married for five and a half years. Uh, my wedding ring is still in pretty good shape, actually. Um, and I reckon as long as I don't lose it, it'll, I'll probably have it my whole life. It will probably outlast me. Uh, but already as I look at it, I can see little scratches, little dinks. My wedding ring, gold, even gold is not going to last forever. Christians have an inheritance that can never perish, will never spoil, and will never fade. It's an inheritance that is safe. And it's safe because it's stored safely in heaven for us. I want to say if you're here with us today and you're not sure about Christianity, I do want to put this challenge before you. Are you happy working for things that will not last? Are you happy, happy working for the things that will perish? Uh, are you happy working for a retirement, a house, a job? Are you happy working for those things that will not last? Peter says that Christians can look forward to an inheritance that is safe. And that is good news, isn't it? Peter says in verse 6 that because our inheritance is safe, we greatly rejoice. Uh, But he continues on as well. He's given us the good news. Now Peter gets to the bad news, the realistic news. I'll pick it up in verse 6. Peter says, in all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. And now, as I was saying before, I think the trials that Peter mostly has on view in his book are the trials that come with verbal persecution, verbal insult, these trials that the Christians in Turkey are going through. Uh, But actually what he says here is that uh, now for a little while, you may have had to suffer all kinds of trials. I wonder when I talk about this idea of trials Uh, different kinds of trials. I wonder what comes to mind for you. I wonder what trials some people in this room are going through at the moment. I know for many in the room, the trial that you're experiencing at the moment might be poor health. It might be a trial of dealing with the health and well-being of a family member. Uh, Some of us are struggling with the grief that comes with having lost loved ones. Uh, Some of us might just be struggling with something like lack of motivation Some of us might be struggling with broken relationships. Uh, For some of us, our trial might be the pain of knowing that those dear to us are not part of God's family. Peter knows that the reality of the Christian life is we often go through trials. Oh, then notice what else he says about the trials. Uh, What does he say about how long the trials will last? He says that the trials are for a little while. It's the optimistic side of Peter coming up again, out again, I think. I think this is a glass-half-full kind of statement. I suspect what Peter is talking about is that even a trial that lasts your whole life, like a chronic illness, even that is very much a little while and will seem like a little while when you get to the new heavens and the new earth. 
the trials we go through are temporary, but the inheritance that Christians have is forever. I also want to point out a couple of things that Peter doesn't say. Uh, You'll notice that Peter doesn't say that Christians definitely are going through trials. He says that his readers may have had to suffer, may have had to suffer. So there can be times in life when actually things aren't that bad, when things are pretty good. And there's one other thing he doesn't say as well. He doesn't say that we're to go looking for trials. He's not saying that trials in and of themselves are a good thing that we should go looking for. He's just observing that trials are a reality. So it's okay to try and get away from trials. That's, that's okay. Uh, but notice what he says in verse 7. He says why the trials have come. He says the trials have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Uh, so he's not saying that trials are a good thing, but he is saying that they can be used by God to produce something good. And notice exactly what the thing is that's being produced. Uh, he's saying that there's something that is more precious than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire. And what's the thing that's more precious than gold? Faith. Or actually, to be even more specific, it's the proven genuineness of your faith that is of greater worth than gold. You see, if you're going through trials, and like I said, I suspect many of us are, and if in those trials you're able to persevere in faith, if you're able to trust Jesus and hold fast to Jesus through your trials, you are proving to yourself that your faith is genuine. What could be more precious than knowing that you have a true, genuine faith that will survive the trials? Again, this doesn't mean we should go looking for trials. This doesn't mean we should embrace trials. It does mean that if you are undergoing trials, particularly trials that you can't get away from, even those hard things can have good results. Okay, so Peter's given us good news. We have a great inheritance to look forward to. He's given us the bad news that the reality for many Christians is that we have to undergo trials for a little while. Let's think then about what it means to be a Christian, the Christian position, the reality of what the Christian life is like. Should we be optimists or should we be pessimists? Is the Christian life worth the cost? I think Peter is trying to point out that Christians are in a pretty good position. Uh, He says this in a number of ways. First of all, in verse 8, he talks about uh, the fact that Christians trust in Jesus, someone they haven't seen. Uh, We know that Peter himself, he physically did see Jesus and uh, lived with Jesus for a few years. But Peter says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. Now, I haven't seen Jesus in the flesh. Uh, No one in this room has seen Jesus in the flesh, as far as I know. But Christians can look back to the words of people like Peter and we can believe in Jesus. Because, of course, we can believe in Jesus. We love Jesus and we can do that because we know about Jesus. God's people haven't always had that opportunity. Like God's people in the Old Testament before Jesus came, they had the prophets, they had prophecy about Jesus. Uh, But look what what Peter says about about that in verse 10. He says, uh, concerning this salvation... The prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. So even the prophets, even people like Isaiah, 
Isaiah searched, Isaiah tried to find out exactly what was going to happen, but even Isaiah didn't know all the details. I remember, I think it was a fortnight ago, we looked at Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. I think that's probably actually what Peter is thinking of here. Notice that he says he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. Isaiah knew that the Messiah would come, and Isaiah could have faith in God, but just think for a minute about everything Isaiah didn't know. Isaiah didn't even know the name of Jesus. He didn't know the detail. He didn't really understand everything about the gospel, the good news. We love Jesus, and Isaiah only had a few scant details about what Jesus was going to do. We have the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, the biographies of Jesus' life. We have Jesus' words. We can know Jesus. We can love Jesus. Christians are in a much better position than God's people were in the Old Testament. (coughs) And Peter goes on, he says, It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. This is, this is actually staggering. Even Isaiah knew that ultimately he was writing for us. The prophets knew that by writing the Old Testament, we would be able to have the Bible and go back and see why Jesus had to come. We, so we have the Old Testament, we have the New Testament, we have the Gospel. Do you notice what he says? The Gospel is something that even angels wish they knew about. That is how blessed we are as Christians. Even angels long to look into these things. Isn't that remarkable? So then when we think about the Christian position, when we uh, think about the position that we're in, we really do have much to rejoice about. I think, Chris, I think Peter is actually trying to say that Christians are pretty much the luckiest people to ever live. We have a living hope of a great inheritance, which we know is kept safe for us. We know Jesus. We should love Jesus. We have the whole of Scripture. We have the Old Testament. We have the New Testament, which tells us the story of God's salvation. We have the gospel, the thing that even angels wish they could look into. Uh, So does Peter want us to be optimists or does he want us to be pessimists about the Christian life? I think Peter wants us to be optimists. He's not trying to say we should change our personalities. He knows that the Christian life can be hard. But what he's saying is that the Christian life is worth it. That's, I think, why he says in verse 13, he tells us to set our hope on the grace to be brought to us when Jesus is revealed. The book of Peter, it's uh, 1 Peter, it's all about trials. It's about the hard things that Christians go through. And Peter's realistic. He talks about those things. Uh, But he wants to show us how to have hope amongst those trials, how to persevere through hard times by setting our hope on grace. I'm going to pray as we go through the book of 1 Peter, God will help us to do just that. Uh, Our dear Father God, we thank you for the Apostle Peter. We thank you that 2,000 years ago when these Christians in Turkey were going through hard times, that Peter took the time to write them this letter. We thank you that this letter still has much to say to us today. We know that trials are are a reality for most Christians. I know there are many in this room who are struggling with trials even now. Father, as we go through trials, give us hope. Help us to remember the inheritance that is safely being kept for us. Help us to set our hope on the grace that will be brought to us when Jesus returns. 
And we pray that he would return soon. Amen. I had a couple of helpful questions come through, so I'll just uh, address them briefly. Uh, So the first one says, uh, the examples of trials you gave like chronic disease, broken relationships, uh, loss of loved ones are not unique unique to Christians. Very true. Uh, They are universal. Do the trials here then refer to something else? Uh, Yeah, thank you. I think that's really helpful. I think uh, certainly in 1 Peter, I think really the the trials that Peter has on view is really those uh, those verbal insults, verbal persecution that his readers are going through. Um, I do think, though, uh, the truth of the Christian inheritance is something that can encourage us whatever trials we have, whether we're having specific Christ- Christian trials or whether we're going through the sorts of trials that um, everyone else in the world goes through, because certainly uh, everyone goes through different trials. I do think Peter particularly is addressing those trials of verbal insult, persecution, um, so I think that's really what's on view through 1 Peter. Um, I think the principle can still apply more broadly, though. Um, so thank you. The other question, uh, how do we encourage each other to remain optimistic in times of increasing poor treatment of Christians in Australia? And how do we stay optimistic ourselves? Um, thank you. That's that's really a, a perfect question. And it's really the question that uh, the whole book of 1 Peter, I think, is really addressing. How do we uh, look to our future hope? How do we have hope um, despite the persecution and trials we're going through? Um, so my answer is to come back for the next five weeks and we'll keep talking about that. Um, just from what we're looking at today, uh, I think really what Peter started off his readers by uh, thinking is he said he's trying to tell them to look to the future, set your hope on what's to come, set your hope on that inheritance that you're going to receive one day. Um, and you can see the logic, can't you, if you're able to focus on what's beyond this life, uh, you'll be able to persevere through hard times at the moment, at least in theory. That's, I think, the key kind of thing he encourages his readers to do through the book. But um, he picks up this idea again and again, so we'll keep talking about it. Thank you.